hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. And I look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall. If you need some help, don't worry. It's on the wall at the Lompoc campus for those who are worried. And uh, and what that means is uh, you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Three of you think that I know it's been a a few weeks since I've been up here. All right. Uh, I don't know if you forgot, uh, but uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. 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 So, hey, we're going to start a a new mini-series to kind of carry us through the holiday season, one that we've kind of reprised over the last couple years uh, around this uh, time of the year. We've uh, done a series entitled The Church. And so uh, we want to talk about what does it mean to be the church? church? What does that word mean? And and has it lost its meaning? And how do we rediscover and define what it means to be the church? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. It's in uh, the New Testament. You're going to flip two thirds of the way through the Bible. You're going to find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in the book of Matt. And uh, you're going to be Uh, turning to chapter 11, and I'm going to read verse 16, 17, uh, 18, and 19, and that's going to kind of anchor us a little bit. I'm going to read it. I'm going to kind of try to um, persuade you, build an argument, and then I'm going to come back to this passage. So I don't want you to forget this passage. I'm going to read it. And for a little bit, you're going to be like, wait a second, what's this have to do with the passage that we just read? But we'll get there. Okay. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, Matthew, um, 11 verse 16 says this, and I'm, I just became very thankful when I checked for my glasses, they weren't on my shirt and I only have a few verses to read. So, uh, so if we were in Genesis, that would be a big deal, right? Uh, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that you would help us.
understand that we are your church, the church of Jesus Christ. You are the head, and we are the body. And we follow you. We follow your command. You are in charge. We submit to your lordship. We thank you that you've placed us into your body and that you've called us according to your purposes. Let us be reminded. Let us be renewed. Restore us. And let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said... Amen. There, there's an old legend that says there was a priest who, as he was preaching, there would be a cat wrestling outside of the church. And, and, and the cat would make so much noise. And you can imagine, none of us like cats, right? <laughs> so you're here with me. Uh, <laughs> And imagine there's a cat, and the cat is making the worst kinds of noise during the preacher's sermon. And I don't want any of you to get any bright ideas of a prank that you'd like to pull on me either, uh, because that cat will be no more. And, uh, and yet there's a cat wrestling up and making all this noise, and... and the preacher, it's interrupting and disrupting the preacher while he's preaching. So the preacher decided, because he was also like me, but a little kinder, uh, decided to go out and tie the cat's tail to the tree. Genius, right? And, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to put this off away from the church. We're going to tie it to the pepper tree, if you will. After service, we'll untie the cat from the tree and 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 then that pastor went away and retired he left his name was Dave and uh it's not a true story so you're like, wait a second, this really happened? And the pastor retired and he, he left and the next pastor came along and he loved cats. And, and, uh, except he, he decided, well, this is what we do. And so he just continued to tie the cat's tail to the tree. And then the cat died, so they went out and got another cat to tie to the tree. See, what happens is sometimes uh, generations come along and, uh, and maybe what solved a problem at one time, a practical problem, maybe it was good advice, maybe it solved the problem that they had. Uh, somebody else comes along and goes, well, I don't seem to, to mind that particular problem, but what, this is what the last guy did. This is what they did. And then all of a sudden the problem goes away and will create problems in order to have solutions that have been in play for a period of time. Sometimes what happens is we don't know why we do what we do, right? We just tend to, to kind of follow along and, and, and flow in the rhythm of what's been laid before of us. How many of you have noticed this when you go to the grocery store? You'll, you'll see a group of people standing in line, and sometimes that line will spill out from the counter and the cashier and into the lines, and nobody notices that there's another cash register open down the way. You ever notice this, right? <laughs> Doesn't that bother you, right? None of it, like, I, I just want, can we just make this agreement that if you go to Crossroads Church, you're not going to be those people. You're going to go get in the open line, right? And, and, and 
Amen. We're making that agreement, right? Uh, 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 or, or what happens at the airport when uh, all of a sudden the, the, the person gets up to let you know that you're going to be boarding and if one group of people stand up, you could be in group seven. They call priority. You're standing up in line. Why? Because everybody else was standing up. You ever notice that? Right? I don't know what it is about airplanes and airports. I don't know. Everyone's rushing to get on this sardine can and everyone's rushing to get off of it. I don't understand. Just wait your term. But sometimes what happens is just like the pastor who ties the cat to the tree and then the next guy does it and then the cat dies and he goes out and buys another cat to tie to the tree. Sometimes we... Uh, we are just creatures of habit and routine and rhythm. We have a tendency to follow what has gone before us. That's no different in our homes. It's no different as individuals. Sometimes we were to begin to examine, why do I do what I do? Is it because that's how I was raised? Is it because this is how, how my mother raised me? This is how my father, raised, where I'm from, we say it's because mom and them did it that way, right? And is this my heritage? And where did this heritage come from? What tradition am I following along? When we say, man, well, this is what we do in our house. We do it this way. And it's this particular time of the year where we start revamping and bringing those traditions back to light. It's this time of year where we start talking about, well, we, we do this and we do that. And sometimes, let's be honest, then it happens in the church. Uh, and I realize this is I've been here now as lead pastor for seven years. Hold your applause. And uh, <laughs> laughter, that's what I get, laughter, right? No, anyway, no, no, knock it off, knock it off. You may, missed your chance, right? And, and I, I realized the, the rhythms of the church, you, you change something uh, one year, and, and it's like, man, we changed everything. And by year three, we've always done this, right? It, it kind of, we have short-term memory, even when it comes to our traditions. You, you say, well, we, we buy the tree on December 1st, or, or, or we, we do this on, it's never going up. The tree's never going up until after Thanksgiving. How many of you changed that three years ago? Now the tree goes up early. Go ahead. Just, so you like skipped Thanksgiving, went straight to Christmas, right? And, and, and yet I started thinking about, man, how, how do we take this season? What's, uh, what's culturally happening for all of us is that we're kind of recalibrating and we are considering what we do and why we do it. And, and for all for good reason. Some of the things that we do facilitate uh, relationship. It, 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 it facilitates connecting with our families. And, and some of these traditions, if you will, we have are for good reason. But sometimes we don't always know why. We don't always know why we do what we do. And so uh, I, I thought, let's take a moment over the next couple of weeks and let's talk about the church. And then let's actually examine what our preconceived notions about the church 
are. And, and, and maybe because this season, Christmas, is about Christ. I don't know if you know that or not. And if you watch any uh, marketing schemes lately, you would, you would think it was not about Christ. But, but, but Christmas is about Christ Christmas is about Christ, crossroads, amen. Christmas is about Christ. Now, there's some debate on, on how Christmas came about. I was recently uh, listening to some scholars talk about uh, kind of the inception of Christmas. And, and, and there's some uh, kind of fables that say what happened is the, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church began to uh, adopt a pagan holiday and take what was already kind of in place and trade that out for Christmas and made it a celebration of the birth of Christ, the coming of our Savior. And, and some people go, well, then we shouldn't some people will have, have a debate. They go, well, maybe we shouldn't celebrate if it was once a pagan holiday that now we've made Christian. Is that okay to do? If it was a pagan holiday and now it's a, a Christian holiday, is that okay? Well, you were once pagans. And so to then convert and rearrange your life in order to change things in your life where you would honor Christ, where once you did not honor Christ, to take something out of your life to honor Christ is absolutely appropriate. Amen? And what we should do. So then, if indeed we hijacked a pagan holiday and made it Christian, and now for thousands of years it's the biggest holiday on the planet, we did a dang good job at hijacking that holiday. Somebody say amen to that, right? That, that's a win. That is a victory, something to be celebrated. Some of you are just all flustered because I said dang. Anyways, and uh, I, was, I felt like that was the appropriate word, one of the appropriate words for that moment, right? And yet, uh, some people would maybe even suggest that actually what happened where there were all of these uh, holidays and celebration and the church decided, you know what, we should take and make memorials and holidays we should celebrate as uh, once we did as uh, Jewish people we had festivals that would point and and there were rituals that we would do that would point the way forward and point us to truth we should institute some of these types of traditional elements where may we have a holiday where we celebrate key parts of the Christian faith and do you know that the one of the most important parts, if not the most important. Now, hear me when I say this, and let's not be confused on what we're saying. I'm not pulling a Ricky Bobby and saying I like the Christmas Jesus better than all the other Jesuses, like I like the baby version. No, no, no. It's that in order for Christ to come and die and be the ransom for our sin, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For that to happen, first, Christ would have to take on humanity. He would have to 
become one of us. See, that's the idea of Christmas. It, it, it is about the birth. But beyond the birth, it's about the incarnation that God became a man. Listen, this is not a normal idea. This is something that other religions do not hold fast to. This is the announcement. I mean, Christmas is, is the time we celebrate that this isn't about you working your way towards God, trying to get it right or pay the price. Christmas is about this season where the church gathers together and celebrates that God came to us. And that's good news. See, Christmas is about the name Emmanuel, God with us. See, it's a holiday. It's set aside in order for us to ponder and consider, to, to get back in the rhythm of reminding ourselves that God came to us because we get in patterns. We get in rhythms of trying to work our way to God. We try to balance the scales of our life. We, we try to tip the, the morality thing and the ethic thing. And we, we try to make sure that we're being a good person so we can approach God, so that we can come to God. And what happens, what the enemy lies to us is that we have to cower in shame when we stumble, when we mess up, when we sin against God. And yet what the gospel reminds us is that we can come boldly before the throne room of grace. Why? Because God has forgiven us. How? Because he paid our debt. He was our ransom. He forgave us. He took on our shame. So we don't have to be ashamed any longer. This is the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But th that does not happen unless God becomes a man. I mean, that's what I say in the opening of all of my sermons. It's, it's a communication trick. It, it, it settles me down. It, it lets you know, hey, we've done this before. You've heard this conversation. And I'm going to set a pattern of what I'm going to say. Hey, I'm Sam Kaiser. I had the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is the greatest person to ever live. Actually, he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. That's Christmas. So I'm giving you Christmas every Sunday. You're welcome. Right? Not just in July, every Sunday. Right? I, I, I'm giving the incarnation that God became a man. What does that mean? It means he took the entirety of the ocean and he poured it into a single glass. That's what it means for God to become a man. Pastor Tyler said it so eloquently uh, just last week. It was addition by subtraction or subtraction by addition rather that God uh, didn't stop being God but he took on what it meant to be a man Philippians uses this word when it says that Jesus fully God did not hold on to equality with God but he limited himself is one translation humbled himself is another translation but the word in the Greek is kenosis and theologians have been arguing and debating about this word for millennia, kenosis. Paul uses this word, and it's essentially this idea that God poured himself out, poured himself into 
humanity. Now we've been looking in Genesis. We've been looking about the story of God to humanity. And the whole story of the Bible, I have, I have great news for you. The whole story of the Bible is about everyone else getting it wrong. So you are in good company. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Right? If you thought that Christianity was about you getting it right, being perfect, and coming in with all your accolades and merit badges, you were wrong. The Bible tells us that all that we can do, all that we can muster up, all that we can work for adds up to filthy rags. And yet the Bible is a story about everyone else getting it wrong. And then we get to the New Testament. We get to this announcement that there's a king. Unto us a child is born. On this day a king. And th th this is the, the announcement that a king has been born. That's why the king of that time, Herod, sent out a message saying, no, no I want all of the sons murdered. He was so afraid. This prophecy was so potent. This announcement was so clear. And yet the announcement was that unto us a child is born from the city of David, a king. But he wasn't what anyone expected. It wasn't what they were looking for. And yet the story is about this boy, this baby who would become a boy, who would become a man. And when everybody else got it wrong, he would be the one person that would hold all of the covenants, would do all of those righteous deeds that we could not do. He would cross every T and dot every I. See, the Bible is a story about God making a covenant with man, but man not being able to keep that covenant. So what does God do? God becomes a man and holds both ends of the bargain. That's good news. That's how he says it's an everlasting covenant. That's why he can come and he can uh, declare that the kingdom of heaven is at Hand, an everlasting kingdom ruled by an everlasting covenant. Why? Because God is holding both ends of this covenant. And the New Testament tells me that I enter into this kingdom by faith in a belief that God has held both ends of the covenant, that God has paid my debt. God has forgiven me and made me righteous. So when the enemy lies to me with shame and guilt, tells me I'm no good, tries to remove me from the kingdom, says you're kicked out of the party, you have to leave, you can't be with those people, you don't measure up, you tell him, I never measured up. But he did. I never could get it right. That's why by grace you have been saved. What does grace mean? Grace means unmerited, undeserved. I mean, you tried to buy something with all those filthy rags, tried to enter in, tried to get a mission. They're saying, hey, I, I, I have my deeds. I would like to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I would like to join the party, this everlasting reign of goodness and grace and peace for all men. And yet we couldn't pay the cover charge. And the enemy will make you think that you're bankrupt. But 
you're on somebody else's tab. He's already paid the bill in full. That's why at the cross of Jesus Christ, it says, it, he says, it is finished, paid in full. The debt's been paid. So what does this tradition of every single year, thinking about the incarnation, what I'm celebrating is the idea that God stood in our place. See, the Christmas, Christmas is not disconnected from Easter. It's not that this is the baby version of Jesus, and this, this is the adult version of Jesus, and we teach this one to kids, and we teach this version to adults, and Christmas is for the children, and Easter is for the adults. It's that this is a story about Jesus. And all that God is doing for humanity by his grace, Christmas is the reality that God came and lived a perfect, sinless life, died an obedient death, a death he did not deserve, paying a price that you could not pay. And the certification of this reality is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know this to be true because there were fishermen who were cowards. There were fishermen who left when Jesus was arrested in the night and then they saw a dead man Walking, And if you see a dead man walking, it will fundamentally change you, friend. And they went from cowards to courageous proclaimers of the good news, the gospel about Jesus. Sometimes we forget that's what Christmas is really all about. Have you noticed that lately? <laughs> Sometimes we forget and we think these things are disconnected. We get in the routine. We tie the cat to the tree. We stand in line. We follow along. We go to church on Christmas. We light candles. We put up trees. We give gifts. But we don't fully understand why we keep tying the cat to the tree. We don't understand why we keep giving gifts. We don't understand why we light up the Christmas tree, why we use lights, and why we celebrate this holiday that keeps expanding like his kingdom growing, showing us that he is the, indeed the reason for the season. And we get frustrated with the commercialization, the lie of the enemy that would try to distract See, the Bible says the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. See, what's beautiful about this holiday is it keeps expanding. What's beautiful about this holiday is people have to wrestle with, did God really become a man? There's these groups of people that every single year celebrate this immaculate conception, this birth from a virgin, and this boy who would become a king by way of the cross. 
What is it about these people, these peculiar people? Why do they celebrate this? See, sometimes we can get caught up, right? We, do, we don't know why we do what we do. And I, I have to remind us that as the church, see, the church is not a building. You realize that, right? See, that's one of those things we do, right? See, just like all the other things, it happens. We get lost in translation. It, 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 we aren't precise in our speech and what we pass down. It happens to me all the time. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I live in the church parking lot. <laughs> not in that RV over there. They <laughs> This hobo's our pastor? What? And yet... Uh, I, I oftentimes my family, I, I have four kids and I, I have my, my daughter, uh, who's the worst of all of them. And, uh, <laughs> and, and oftentimes even with us, she'll say things because I, I, she goes, is daddy at the church? He's over at the church. I go to church, daddy. I go to church with you. And in her mind, the church is this building, this place where her daddy goes often where he goes to his office, where he goes with people. When we go to church on Sunday, they'll say things like, is it church day? And that almost has a, a, a little more truth to it. And, and yet I can see why we kind of get lost in translation because they're not wrong when we say we go to the church when the church is here. Let me say that again. They're not wrong when they say we go to church, when the church is here, right? Because you are the church. See, the church in the Greek is this word ekklesia, which implies the gathering of the people of God. So let me make this very clear. It is, uh, I'm not saying by uh, you are the church, and so that means that you can scatter and never gather and you're perfectly fine because you are the church. No, 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 no. When we gather together, we are the church of Jesus Christ. So that means that if you are part of the body of Christ, you must gather. Three of you, thank you. If you are the body of Christ, Christ is Lord, he is the head, you are part of his body, then you must gather. Amen. When? Often. How often? A lot. <laughs> like, uh, what's a lot? Uh, all the time. Like, like, like sometimes we forget why we do what we do. Like, why do we attend the gathering, the church, on Sundays? Where did this come from? Why not Thursday? Why not Wednesday? I, 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 uh, I, I find it peculiar. Someone said to me the other night when I told them that our, our youth ministry meets on Thursdays, the hub, and they said, well, where I'm from, youth night's on Wednesdays. 
I was like, I, I, I forgot. I didn't read that. Uh, <laughs> ah, I'm going to change everything, you know? Uh, like, why is it that we gather? Well, see, the early church began to gather on what they would call the Lord's Day. And the Lord's Day was on Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, this is revolutionary because the center for the religious world at the time was Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would shut down on Friday evening. If you know any Orthodox Jews, this is what their routine and their life is like. On Friday, just before Sabbath, everything shuts down, and they observe Sabbath through Saturday, which is where we get Saturday from. It implies the Sabbath. And yet, People ask, and there are some debates, there are whole movements and denominations that still continue to meet on Saturday. They believe that's actually what we should do. We should continue to observe the Sabbath. But Jesus' entire ministry, he was constantly doing things that was causing frustration on the side of religious people by what he would do on the Sabbath. Do you remember any of these stories? He, he would, imagine this. God in the flesh. You're tracking. Three of you, right? <laughs> Miraculous things, right? Heals the sick, raises the dead, walks on water. Big deal, friends. So you're like, I like the first one, the turning water to wine. That's what I... <laughs> It's my favorite. Anyways, like miraculous signs and wonders. Imagine healing a man who's had an ailment since birth and a religious leader being frustrated because they did it on the wrong day. Could you imagine? Jesus was constantly having these debates. He was constantly having these issues with people who were so stuck in their ways that they missed the point, that they just kept carrying on what the last guy did and what they did, and they don't really understand the heart behind the how. They don't really get why they were doing what they were doing. So they're frustrated, constantly frustrated with what Jesus was doing. God in the flesh. People were beginning to look at him differently. Maybe he is the Messiah, but he didn't fit their box. He didn't fit their mold. He didn't come the way. They've been reading the Torah and the prophets. They've been reading the prophecies about this man for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when he gets there, they miss him. Why? Because they were so stuck in their ways, in their preconceived notions of how in which the king would come, that when he came, not only did they miss him, they crucified him. And the Bible tells us in the opening parts of this book that Jesus had a crazy cousin, right? And you know the line, right? Like John, right? And everybody's got a crazy cousin, right? And if you don't have one, it's you, right? <laughs> And, and, and everyone's got, and John, John comes on the scene and he starts saying this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, it's now, it's 
It's in your hand, right in front of you. John will go on to say in 1 John, he says, I tell you about what I saw and who I touched and who I ate with. Let me tell you a story about what I know. The kingdom of heaven was at hand, is at hand, and I touched him with my hands. John the Baptist comes on saying, says, repent. This word repent in the Greek is this word metanoia, which means to change the way you think so that you do something different. The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. So it's insane not to repent, friend. That we change our minds, we see new evidence, we see the truth, and we follow the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to the Father. I am the door. He was there saying to them when they got frustrated with him on the Sabbath, he goes, no, I am the Sabbath. I am what the Sabbath has been pointing to all along. Now, Jesus carries out his earthly ministry. He's crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb. He is raised on the third day. He predicted the entire thing and no one saw it coming. Not even the closest to him, that is he told people what he was gonna do, no one predicted it. They went back to their jobs. The ladies showed up on Sunday morning with spices to embalm his body because it was, the sun was going down. They had no time for proper burial rituals. But what they didn't realize is they did not need it. It was a borrowed tomb. He was only gonna use it for the weekend, friend. Yet Sunday morning, they go there on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And the stone is rolled away and they find the tomb empty. You know how the story goes. And yet from that day forward, the center of the known world, religious world, changed from observing the Sabbath on Saturday to celebrating the resurrection on Sunday. Do you know that the change of these Orthodox Jews changing their entire lives from what they've done from young boy, that, that they've been tying the cat to the tree, they've been turning off the, the lights, they've been blowing out the candles, they've been preparing their meals early, they've been setting aside the Sabbath all in order to point to the person of Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law, shows them what real Sabbath is. He's crucified, buried, and raises again on a Sunday morning. These Orthodox Jews change from observing Sabbath to gathering on the first day of the week to be reminded, to reflect, to celebrate that we were scared, we were running and hiding, but every Sunday we gathered together like we did that morning when he appeared to us, when he came to us in the upper room, when Thomas touched his hand and touched his side. Every single Sunday from here on out, let's tell Jesus stories to remind ourselves of the good news that he came and died and rose again. Why do you meet on Sunday? Because Jesus rose from the grave. 
And you need to be reminded of that. How, how often? Often. Like a lot. How much is a lot? All the time. Why? Because this good news about Jesus is the answer to every single thing you face, friend. Every single woe and worry. He is the solution. He is the answer. He is the culmination of all that we could hope for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Jesus is the substance of what we could hope for. This season is recalibrating us to be reminded that God came to us. He lived and died in our place and rose again. And that changes everything. There's now a king. He put to death, death destroyed the works of the enemy, crushed the head of the serpent. He is now weak and anemic. All he has are shadow games. All he has now are lies. How often do you need to be reminded that? A lot. How much is a lot? All the time. Right, because it's so easy to forget. See, Romans says this, Romans says, I, I, I grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible. You know, the one Jesus read. Uh, <laughs> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and presentable to the Lord. Be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the world is preaching sermons, friend. The world has a pattern and a rhythm. See, from that day forward, Jesus changed the game from rituals to a rhythm. See, we don't practice rituals. See, the church isn't about religious rituals. And so when you think about your home, see, rituals tend to be about special, a special person. In a, in a religious ritual, there needs to be a special person who carries out the special ritual. There's a priest. There's a holy man. There's a special candle in a special place. And see, what Jesus did that we celebrate God becoming a man, he carried out the ritual. His life is the ritual. He was the special person. The Bible calls him our great high priest. He carried out the ritual. He was our high priest. Not only did he carry out the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. Hebrews tells me that sacrifice, that ritual, was once and for all. What does that mean? It means he took it away from a special person, someone who needs to make sure they have it all together. And if you thought that was me, you're wrong. Amen. It, he took it from being about a special 
person because he was that person. And now it's about people, a special people, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now we have the priesthood of the believers. And this isn't about you carrying out rituals. This is about you living according to the rhythm of grace. This isn't about a ritual. This is about a way of life. See, the passage I read for you to start, remember I told you we would get back to it eventually. It's a story about the religious people getting frustrated with Jesus and with John the Baptist. And they were vastly different. See, John the Baptist was a pious man, a little crazy, but he only ate certain things. The Bible says he ate locusts and honey and lived in the wilderness. He, he wore animal skins as clothes. He never cut his hair. He was a Nazarite. John the Baptist was, Jesus says, like a reed blowing in the wind, a voice crying out of the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He was the forerunner proclaiming, repent, change the way you think or you're going to miss Jesus because he's not going to come the way you thought he was going to come. You want him to break the back of Caesar and he's going to crush the head of Satan. You want him to overthrow the government and he's going to overthrow sin that has been crushing every heart. They both came, but their behaviors were quite different. John the Baptist never touched any strong drink. He only ate certain things. Now, I'm going to read this because some of you aren't going to believe me. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he's got a demon. The son of man, which Jesus is referring to himself, his favorite title for himself. It's a term from Daniel, son of man. What's the son of man? It's Christmas. It's God becoming a man, showing us what true humanity looks like. Because there's a software update that needs to happen. Sin has corrupted the files. There's a virus of sin causing man to go wayward. So God became a man, the son of man. It says this, came eating and drinking. I hear there's a local shirt that says Jesus drank wine. This is that verse. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They go, wait a second, I thought religion looked one way. I thought religious people did the same things. Oh, this is good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. I thought this was carbon copy. I thought that the rituals, the tradition was making sure that you fall in line. You do the same thing. No, no, no. This is about a way of life. 
what it says is John the Baptist did one thing. They didn't like him. Jesus did a completely different thing and they didn't like him. What was the problem? Truth. What was the problem? The spirit of God. What did they have a problem with? It wasn't what they did. Here's what Jesus goes on to say. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the outcome. Let me show you the way. See, Jesus people are a diverse group of people. Jesus people have different convictions about certain things, like what they eat, what they drink. Christians have, 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 have different ways of how they dress. Can you believe your pastor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're over that. And yet, the point is there a group of people called the church, a gathering of the people of God, that do what? That celebrate, reflect, and are reminded that God became a man. He lived and died. He rose again, and that changed everything. And so, early and often, we gather together to remind ourselves that there's a king. Early and often, we gather together as much as we can because you know what will happen? We'll fall into patterns of the world. We'll make priorities of other things. It will change our rhythm. Here's what Christ is calling us to. He says, what shall I liken this generation to? It was like children in a marketplace. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. See, the kingdom of God is a dance. See, rituals are like a performative dance where one person has a solo, and this is like a wedding reception. And you've been to those. Everyone's getting down, right? Like, come on, Grandma, let's get up here. Like, well, don't, you know, don't break anything, right? Like, everyone's dancing. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's the way of Jesus. Here's what we're reminded of. This is the season. This isn't about a holiday tradition. This is about a rhythm. This is about a dance. And here's what will happen. People will see the rhythm of your life, and they'll want to join in. They'll see the dance. See, we're not the conductor. He's playing the tune. There is a cadence. There's a drum beat. There's a march. You don't get to play your own rhythm. You don't get to play. You are invited to dance. The way of Jesus. The way of community. The way of grace. Don't forget, that's why we meet every week. It's to remind us of the rhythm. It's when we're off. See, relationships have that. My wife and I do it all the time. We're just, you ever say that to your spouse? You ever say it to your, we're just off. We're just out of sync. We're out of rhythm. See, that happens with our relationship with God. We get out of rhythm. It doesn't mean you're out. It means that you need to catch the beat again. 
You need to turn up the music and drown out the noise. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When God's word, when his sound, when his rhythm is louder than anything else, you can't help but dance in the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. Let us meet early and often. Every year we're reminded that you came to us. And every Sunday we're reminded of what you did for us. Let us turn up the sound. Because your word says that your sheep know your voice and a stranger they will not follow. So don't let us get caught up in the rhythms and flow, being deceived by the cadence of the world. But let us dance to the rhythms of grace. Let us not be like a generation that you called, that you said we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. Let us be people who've been invited to the party, the kingdom of God, the marriage supper of the lamb. This Union of heaven and earth. There's a party and we've been invited. And we will dance in the kingdom of God. And when the world sees the peace and the joy and the goodness and the rhythms of grace of the church of Jesus Christ, they will ask to come in. They've been given an open invitation. Whosoever will, let him come and dance with the king. We thank you. We praise you. Let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?